If you have your Bible, open to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel 21. As we come to the last four chapters here in uh, 2 Samuel, uh, what we're going to find is that they're, they're kind of unconnected. There's different parts or segments within each one. They're not, not necessarily in chronological order, but, but each section, each kind of grouping is going to have something different to say. And they're just kind of events that happen towards the end of, uh, end of David's reign as king. And I just want to remind us, too, that while we've seen a few failures in David's life, and we've seen the consequences play out, especially when it came to Bathsheba and when it came to, you know, multiple wives and concubines and his family and, you know, the sword not leaving his family. We've seen all that take place. I think it's important to note that after Bathsheba, the scriptures don't mention David taking another wife or another concubine. That, you know, we need to remember that although we can see fault in his life, he still is a man after God's own heart. Instead, when Absalom rose up, we saw him worshiping and praising during difficult times. We saw him relying on the Lord and and stopping and and praying to the Lord. And, you know, we need to remember that as we see David seeking the Lord, we see him worshiping, we see him trusting, we see him victoriously remaining on the throne of the nation Israel because that's where God called him to be. And I, I like that picture of him so much because in his failures, we see our own humanity, but don't knock him down for it because he really is a man of God. Although he made mistakes just like we do, he really truly is a man after God's own heart. When we read the Psalms, we can see his heart and just how much he loved the Lord. So remember that, you know, and as we come to this, you know, chapter 21 of 2 Samuel, we're going to see something specific tonight. And we're going to see how important promises and commitments are to God. How important they are. How important promises, commitments, covenants, how important your word is when you give it to somebody. That's what we're going to see unravel here. We're going to look at the first 14 verses tonight. So if you'll pick up with me in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, and we'll read the first couple of verses, and we'll come back to them. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and he spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. What we're going to see unfold is a scripture that most people don't like to teach because sometimes it can be hard to make some sense of it all. It can be hard to kind of say, well, what exactly, why is this in the Bible? And I hope that tonight I'm going to be able to point out why some of this, why this difficult passage of scripture makes sense and why it's in the Bible. I want you to first notice that there's a famine in the, in the land of Israel. Coming down to the later days and we read that the famine was for three years. And in case you're not sure what a famine is, it means the people were hungry. It means they were suffering, there was starvation taking place, there wasn't enough food to eat, and it was caused by a lack of rain. You see, back then they didn't have irrigation, they couldn't turn the sprinklers on. If it didn't rain, it didn't grow. If it didn't grow, you didn't eat. So they were much more reliant on the, on the weather, on God to bring the early and the latter rains and to, and to water the crops for them to grow. So there's a famine coming in the land, and David does a good thing. It says that he inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. You know, and so... So in the midst of this famine, in the midst of this problem, David wisely goes to the Lord. He says, hey, Lord, what's going on? I wonder why it took him three years to do it, though. (laughs) You know, as I read this and I look, Lord, you know, David, why three years? And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, you know, why would it take him three years? You know, I mean, how many? But I think it was something like this. I think, I don't think David 
over-spiritualize things. I think the first year the famine takes place, there's just not enough rain, there's some crops missing, it's not growing the way it should. You know, I think he probably just thought it's a bad weather year. And the second year, something kind of, it's not, it's, it's, well, it's even a worse weather year. And then finally it hits him and he goes, you know, there's something going on here. This is a spiritual thing. You know, sometimes people have a tendency to over-spiritualize things. You know, everything is a spiritual thing. Everything is a word from the Lord. Everything is this, you know, magnificent thing. I have to have this, you know, encounter with God. And David didn't try to do that. He just, he just kind of went through it. And by the third year, he goes, click, the light goes on. There's something going on here. You ever met somebody that over-spiritualizes stuff? Everything is just like, it's just craziness, you know. I mean, it, it can drive you crazy. I got up out of bed last night, and I stubbed my toe on the dresser, and I think the Lord was trying to speak to me. No, you just were unsteady and walked into the dresser. It doesn't necessarily mean that God's trying to speak to you. Or, you know, I've been praying about a new car, and I really want this car, and I opened up the Sunday paper, and right on the, on the, pay, on the sports page was the ads for the cars, and they had the car that I want, and it's on sale. There must be God speaking to you to go buy a new car, right? No, it's in there every weekend. You just happened to open it up this weekend because you were looking for a car. But it was the same color and everything. Cars are always on sale. You'll find another one. But sometimes we can over-spiritualize things. And I would, I would caution you in that to don't over-spiritualize something, but instead follow David's lead. If there seems to be a pattern of something, if there seems to be a famine in your life, if there seems to be a dryness, if, if your prayers aren't going answered, if there's something going on, then it might be something that you say, you know what, I need to inquire the Lord on this. I need to go to the Lord. I need to see what's taking place. And after a few years, that's what David's doing. He realizes that it was, this is more than bad weather going on here. This is more than, hey, you know, something's going on. Maybe global warming was happening back then. Who knows? They, there's something going on. Lord, so Lord, what do I do in this situation? And I want to pause just for a second because sometimes in our own lives, we can go through famines. We can go through dryness. We can go through difficult seasons, difficult situations. If you've been in a famine in your life, have you inquired of the Lord as to the reason? If there's a constant thing that keeps happening, if there's something you can't get over, don't over-spiritualize. You know, don't always think that just because something's wrong that you're doing something wrong. Just because, there's a, just because I'm ill, then there must be sin in my life. That's not necessarily true. You know, remember what Jesus said in John chapter 9 to, the, to the, the disciples came to him and they saw a blind man. They said to the disciples, asked him, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? You know, they assumed back then that if you were blind or there was, you were, had a physical ailment, that, that, that there was something wrong in your life. You had sinned against God and now he was punishing you. And, or, or your parents had sinned and now it's this generational thing where now because your parents sinned, now he's punishing, you know, you're being punishing for it. Remember what Jesus told them. He said, this is John chapter 9, verse 22. He said this, or verse 2 actually. Jesus answered and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So why is this man blind? Because I want to heal him. And Jesus went on to heal him. He was blind his life because I, Jesus wanted to get the glory when he healed the man. So I say that because I want you to contrast. If there's a famine in your life, if there's something wrong, you need to look. Is there a spiritual component of this? Is there something going on spiritually in my life that I need to correct? Or is it just something that's taking place? Is it just something that's happening? It could be either one. And I like the fact that as David sought the Lord, he received an answer. Right? Lord, what's wrong? And he told him what was wrong. And look what the Lord said. It's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. What? Saul killed the Gibeonites? At some point in his reign, Saul attacked and he killed the Gibeonites. David's praying. He's seeking the Lord. Why is there famine? And God responds, it's Saul's fault. It's Saul's fault. He probably said, 
So what? What does Saul have to do with me? I don't understand. I've been on the throne for 40 years in Israel. Saul was 40 years ago. The Gibeonite thing? That's 400 years ago. Wait a minute. There's a connection there from 400 to 40 to David's? Yeah. I want you to understand something. Who are the Gibeonites? Who are these people that we're talking about? Listen, and why does it matter that Saul's doing what? Well, it doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. Listen carefully. The Gibeonites, 400 years before David's time, when the nation of Israel was coming into the promised land, Joshua had conquered Jericho, he had conquered Ai, and all of the kings began to get together to ban. All the Canaanite kings were banding together. We're going to fight Israel, except for one group, the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites came up with a plan. You know what their plan was? We're going to make a peace treaty with Israel. But we know in order to make a peace treaty with them, we're going to have to trick them. So the Gibeonites, they got themselves dressed. They put on old clothes. They put on old sandals. They brought old food. They wanted to make it look like they'd traveled from a long way away. They, came, they, were, they wanted to make it look like they've come from far off. So they, they figured, we're going to deceive the Israelites into making a peace treaty with us. And then they come, and as they come and they approach the men of Israel and they approach Joshua, they're a little suspicious of them. They realize, you know, maybe how do we know that you're not our neighbors? Oh, no, no, we're not your neighbors. We've come from miles away, miles away. And then we're told in the scriptures, the men of Israel took the provisions from the Gibeonites. Oh, you've got stuff for us. You've got gifts. And then comes a very unfortunate verse. It says they took the provisions from the Gibeonites. This is in Joshua chapter 9, if you want to note it. But they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They took what the Gibeonites had, but they never went to the Lord and said, Lord, should we make a peace treaty with them? Should we do that with them? They never did that. And they went on to make a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. And then you know what took place? Three days later, they found out they didn't come from far off at all. They didn't come from far off. They're, they're, they're our neighbors. They tricked us. They tricked us. And the people of Israel were upset. They wanted to kill the Gibeonites. They wanted to wipe them out. But they complained to the rulers of Israel. And here's what the rulers of Israel told them. And this would have come down from Joshua, I believe. It says, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. We made a promise and we're going to keep it. Even though that we were tricked into this promise, even though we made this promise under false pretenses, even though they weren't being truthful, we are going to be people of our word. We made a promise and we're going to keep it. We will let them live lest wrath be upon us. If we don't kill them, then we are going to be killed for it. Let them live, but we're going to make them woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Essentially, they're going to make them slaves. We're going to make them work for us, but we're going to let them live. God had told the Israelites, drive out all the inhabitants of the land. They, the Gibeonites had tricked Joshua and the men of Israel. They say, all right, we'll make this covenant with you. They realized they were tricked, and instead of, instead of uh, uh, reneging on their agreement, they basically say, we're going to let them live. We're going to make them servants. We're going to make them servants. Now, here's what we have. Israel made a covenant with the Gibeonites, I'm going to say approximately 400 years before David's time. Saul violated the covenant with the Gibeonites some at least 40 years before because David's been on the throne by now for about 40 years. So at least 40 years before that, Saul violated the throne of the, the Gibeonites. And now, 40 years later, 40 plus years later, Israel is suffering for it. What are, how are they suffering? There's a famine in the land for one year, two year, and three year. So, J, so Dave, or David goes to the Lord, Lord, what's going on? 
He says, the famine in the land, it's caused because Saul violated the treaty that we made with the Gibeonites. You, Saul, went against that. Well, why would Saul do such a thing? Why, 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 why is this so important? God, that was 400 years ago. God, that was, that, you could see David's heart. It's not my problem, God. I, this Saul's problem. Deal with him on it. Why are you dealing with it today? But I think there's a couple of lessons we need to learn about promises and about covenants in here. Number one, promises and covenants are important to God. He's holding true to a covenant that was made 400 years ago. They're important to God. Number two, God expects you to keep your promises. God expects me and us to keep our promises. Number three, God expects the nations to keep their promises. The nation Israel promised a covenant or a peace treaty with the Gibeonites, and he expects them to uphold it. Number four, time doesn't remove or dilute the obligation of the promise. The promise doesn't go away just because it's been a few hundred years. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't disappear. Number five, God's correction for failing to keep the promise may not come right away. Because look how long it's been. It's been 40 plus years. It wasn't even David who broke the promise, but he was in charge of the nation who broke the promise. And he's, the nation is suffering the consequences. You say... Isn't that a little unfair? Is that really right for God to hold the nation Israel accountable to promises that were made 400? I mean, is that really something that, that, I mean, yeah, Rob, I know promises are important to God, and I know that, there, is, is, it, is it really fair? It is. It is fair. And I want to show you why it's fair. Because if, if God holds you and holds me and holds nations accountable to their promises, it also means we can hold him accountable to his promises. Let me put it to you this way. If God places these expectations on us, on our nations, if God places this importance on promises, doesn't it give us great confidence that his promises are going to be trusted? If he's telling you that your promises need to be good, what's that say for his? So when we come across those scriptures and those promises, I go to prepare a place for you. For we're not, I'll come again to receive you to myself. If it were not so, I would have told you so. Those are true promises. He's holding, we see here, this, this picture of what's taking place in the Old Testament shows that God's promises are important to him. That they mean something. And then we can go, then look, we study the scriptures, we see the promises, we can know this is going to come true. Promises make a difference to God. It matters. The promises in the word are true. And they will happen. But I'm still kind of concerned. Are we men and women of our word? Are we men and women who, who our word means something? When we make a promise, does it, does it really mean something? I'm concerned that we've, we've kind of, we kind of slip away from that. As Christians, we should be able to do business on a handshake. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you should be somewhere. If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. Those are just little promises. Our word should mean something to. It should mean that it's going to, whatever we say is going to happen is going to happen. But you see, we've gotten so lax about promises. We've gotten so to where our word doesn't really mean anything. You say, well, well how, how is that possible? Well, business transactions today seem to be this. They just seem to be two people lying to each other just to make a buck and letting the attorney sort it out later. That's really what it comes down to. Two people make a decision. They make a transaction so they can get some money, and they let the attorney sort it out. We'll figure out who's right and who's wrong later. That's the court's job. Do you, do you really think, as we are coming into a November election and you listen to the candidates, let me ask you this, does anybody believe that they're going to stick with their promises? 
You're laughing. Do we believe that the candidates, and, and I'm not for either one of them, that's not what we're here for, but do you believe that our political candidates, that we're, the two that we're putting up there, for the President of the United States, do we believe for a moment that they are going to stick with the promises they're making on the campaign trails? How on earth did they get that far? We've become lackadaisical. Oh, we, we just know that. It's, we say, that's politics. That's politics. Don't worry about it. We know they're, they're going to lie to us. We know they're not going to stick by their word. Wait, it's just politics. Don't worry about it. Think about it, though. We're going to vote for somebody we know is lying to us. That's, how did they get that far in the election? They should have never made it past their local elections. No, not just we like what they have to say. But it's not true. I don't care. I like what they have to say. That's really how we're putting a, the next political candidate into office. Isn't that kind of pathetic? What about our marriages? What about our divorce rate? What about the people that are going to before God? Better, for worse, for sickness, for health. Making a covenant, an oath before God. I'm here on this, God. I'm doing this. For better or worse, this is it. Well, unless, you know, but I don't really mean what I say. The politicians don't mean it. You know, we don't really mean it in marriage. You know, I mean, the courts are filled with people breaking promises and lawsuits. And you know, Do you see the concern? If promises matter to God, Shouldn't they matter to us? As Christians, our lives, our promises, our word, our covenants should look a lot different than the rest of the world's. And I'm sad to say I'm not sure that they do. I'm not sure that they do. I think sometimes they do. But as, as a body of Christ, and again, not just us, as the body of Christ as a whole, the believers, shouldn't our word mean something? If I say I'm going to volunteer and I'm going to pick somebody up or I'm going to be somewhere, should you have to wonder? Should you think, well, I bet, yeah, they're going to be 10 minutes late. Ah, it's just, you know, they're not going to be there. It should mean something. It should matter to us. If God places this great importance on keeping promises and covenants, shouldn't that be important to us? I'm afraid it's slipping away in our culture. Just by the fact of our leaders, just by the fact of what we're doing, just by the fact that we don't even take it seriously sometimes. Let's be people whose word means something. Let's not, we see here, just we've only got to the first two verses and we see how important promises are. How important it is that we keep a covenant. 400 years later, God says that mattered. That promise needed to be kept. You didn't keep it. Now there's going to be a penalty that's paid for it. I gave you a chance to make it right. You never made it right. And now finally the penalty is going to come. The judgment's going to take place. So what's David going to do about the problem? It's been a three-year famine. The reason is because Saul attacked the Gibeonites. Let's look at verse 2. So the king, that's David, he called the Gibeonites, and he spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. I like the fact that David calls them. He calls them. Why? To talk to him, to support. He, David calls him. And I imagine the conversation. Now, they didn't have phones. It means he called upon them. He went to them. He talked to them. But I imagine the conversation went, listen, we've got to make something right. We've wronged you. When Saul was king, we wronged you. We came after your people. You know, it, we, 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 you know we, we decimated. We killed a lot of the Gibeonites. You know, we, we had made a promise to you. We failed to keep our promise. I admire him for doing that. That's what a man of God does. Or you break a promise, you go to the person you tell him you broke the promise. How can I make it right? You mess up, you blow it, you can't. I'm sorry I was late, I'm sorry I didn't show up, I'm sorry I forgot. I, I apologize for breaking my promise. You go to them and you deal with the situation. You don't just forget about it. You handle the problem. He picks up the phone 
And he, or not the phone. He picks up the phone and he calls them. He goes to them and he calls them. He calls upon them. He deals with their problem. Now, notice that Saul had sought to kill him for his zeal for the children of Israel. Now, that's all we're really told is why Saul attacked the Gibeonites. I can speculate, and I think it's this reason. Here's what I think. I think that the Gibeonites were becoming slaves to the Israelites, as that's what the scripture tells us, that that's what they were going to become. And I think in his, uh, in his good intention, Saul looked back onto Israel's history and said, wait a minute, we were slaves to the Egyptians and we began to multiply. Perhaps the Gibeonites were dr- growing in number and Saul said, we've got to stop this because what happened to us is going to happen to them and they're going to come after us and they're going to want to go out. Maybe that speculation on my part could be the reason, but whatever the reason is, we read that he attacked them. He killed a lot of them it's a good example that Saul had good intentions he had good intentions but good intentions don't excuse bad actions you see there's been a lot of bad things that have been done with good intentions just because somebody has good intentions to do something and maybe Saul's intentions were good because he says Saul sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel he sought to kill them for the kid for the nation of Israel for the people of Israel but his, his intentions may have been good but his actions were bad why because he violated the promise that was you know 350 years approximately beforehand he violated the promise that Joshua had made as a nation I can't help but wonder what's going to happen to the promises that we've made to the nation Israel If promises are so important to God, the United States has made promises to the nation of Israel that we seem to be pulling back on politically now. Do you think that'll have an effect on our country? Absolutely it will. Maybe not right away because we see that. I can't speculate what that effect will be, but I can tell you God takes it serious when promises are violated. There's hunger, there's starvation, there's drought taking place for three years. And then God makes the reason known. Saul's intentions were good, but his actions were bad. We often excuse bad actions in ourselves and in others because of what we think are good intentions, but God examines both our intentions and our actions. That was David Guzik who said that. God examines both our intentions and our actions, and we need to make sure that both of those are in the right place. What we're doing needs to be right according with God's word, and our our intentions need to be right as well. Oh, God looks at the heart. He knows my heart. But he also knows what the word says, and does the actions line up with the word? No, I mean well. It doesn't matter what you mean. He's going to look at what you're doing as well. Verse 3. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? David realized there was a problem. It was a famine. He inquired of the Lord as to why? Because as a nation, you failed to honor your promise to the Gibeonites, David. David calls them. He reaches out. He contacts them. Notice how he comes to them. He says, what shall I do for you? He doesn't come saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is how we're going to handle this situation. Instead of coming in pride, he comes in humility. He came asking, not telling. He came as a servant, not a master. He came and he said, what do we, guys, what can we do to make this right? What can we do to make this right? Can I encourage you that if you have promises that you've broke, if there's things that you need to make right, you know, and I like the fact there's been a time frame here because sometimes the things that we need to make right may have happened years ago. Look at how long we're dealing with in a time period. There's things in our lives that sometimes, you know, God's going to bring about a point where we need to make them right. And when we need to make them right, look what, he, look, look what David does. He goes to them in humility. What can I do to make this right? You know, we, we recognize we were wrong as a nation. We realize we made a mistake. How can we fix this? How can we make it right? What, with what shall I make atonement, he says. 
so that you may bless the people of Israel. In other words, atonement, it means covering. How can we cover the sins of Saul, Saul's mistakes? With what can we cover our mistakes so that you may bless us? And look at verse 4. The Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So David says, Whatever you say, I'll do for you. And they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, that was King Saul, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord God in Gibeah of, Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. I'll give them to you. They said, we don't want money. We don't want you to kill a bunch of Israelites for us. Saul came against us. He almost completely wiped us out. Here's what we want. We want seven of his descendants. Bring us seven of his descendants so that we can hang them before the Lord. And David says, okay. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Rob, this is why I don't like the Bible. This is, what, this is the hard part to understand. Why, why would David say, okay, why, what, what's wrong with these people? Wait a minute, these seven innocent people, why do they have to suffer what Saul did so many years ago? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Let me make a couple of points to you. Number one, this would have been a very reasonable, reasonable request in those days. They weren't asking for the same number of Israelites to die as the same number of Gibeonites die. They didn't demand the same type of slaughter that they endured. They just simply said seven men. It would have been something that may have been common in negotiations back in that day. Number two, perhaps God was protecting David from a future uprising from Saul's family. Think about that way. Perhaps God was doing something because David was to remain on the throne and perhaps there was an uprising brewing that God saw happening in the future and said, I'm going to take care of that right now. We don't know. Let me give you another idea. Perhaps these men weren't so innocent at all. You see, we have a tendency to look and say, well, the, why, why these seven guys, these seven people? They're, they're, what, what have they done wrong? I want you to draw your attention back to verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered. Look what it says. It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. You see, maybe these men, who are part of Saul's house, part of Saul's family, were the very ones that were responsible for the Gibeonites being murdered. You see, maybe, it's not, maybe they're not as innocent as, the, as we think they are. Either way, and this is speculation why we're not sure, but either way, David says, I'll do it. You can have them. Why? Because he knew that was what was right. He knew that that was the right thing to do, and these men either helped or they benefited somehow from the massacre of the Gibeonites. Whatever way it was, they, they were, David says, okay, I'll do it. Look at verse 8. So the king took Armani, uh, Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons. Oh, I, I missed verse 7. Back up. Verse 7 says, But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Remember who Mephibosheth was? It was Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Before uh, Jonathan died, he, David told him he would take care of him, promised Mephibosheth to take care of him. So David keeps his oath to Jonathan and his oath to Mephibosheth. It's not right to break one promise to fulfill another. 
So he protects Mephibosheth. And then verse 8 says, So the king took Armoni and, and Mephibosheth. This is a different Mephibosheth. The sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, whom she bore to Saul, the five sons of Machal, Machal, Michael, uh, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Berzali, the Mahithalite, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. They hanged them on the hill before the Lord, so they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Notice how they died. They hung on a tree. They hung from a tree. They, hanged them on, they hung them on a hill before the Lord. The fact that they were hung before the Lord implies that the Lord approved of their execution. It implies that they were taking the penalty. They were, they were the sacrifice that was made. But I also believe the method of death was important. Notice they were hung. They weren't stoned. They weren't beaten. They weren't beheaded. They were hung. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 says, He who is hanged is accursed of God. These descendants of Saul bore the curse that Saul deserved and so delivered Israel from the guilt of their sin against the Gibeonites. They were the penalty. They were the atonement. They were the covering. They bore that curse. It also explains this promise in Deuteronomy. explains why Jesus died the way that he did. He too hung from a tree. He too hung on a tree. Uh, Galatians says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. From the curse of the law. Having been a curse for us, for it was written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You see, Jesus redeemed us as well. Now I know that as we look at this, and sometimes the Old Testament is kind of hard. It's kind of hard to deal with, and we start talking about people being hung and things like that. But I think we need to just point out one more thing. Even if you look at this and you go, wait a minute. You know, these seven guys, Rob, I just, you know, I, I see your point. Maybe it was a reasonable offer. Maybe they were guilty. What, what is it? I want to show you one other thing here. Seven is the number of what? Completion. Seven is the number of completion. A perfect and complete sacrifice must be made to atone for the sins of many. Think about that. Is, it, is, is this a foreshowing or a foreshadowing of Christ going to the cross who will be a sacrifice for us? Sure it is. It could be. It absolutely would be. Isn't it a picture of Jesus dying on the cross? We see this atonement. We see this covering taking place. Seven men, the complete sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. Jesus then goes and he fulfills the complete sacrifice. He becomes the perfect sacrifice. The, un the unblemished, the spotless lamb who would die in our place. It's amazing how it all works together. It's amazing how we see it. It's amazing how it all kind of, it just fits together. But... Nevertheless, because this is taking place, there's family involved. And there's moms that are missing their kids. Look at verse 10. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. She did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Rizpah was the mother of two of the men who were executed. She's mourning for her sons, but notice what else she's doing. She's not allowing the birds or the, of the air or the beasts of the field. They were left hanging deliberately. They were unburied. means it was an act of judgment. She is out there day and night running around protecting them. Their bodies are hanging there, and she's protecting anything from coming on them, anything from eating them, and she's just simply doing this. 
You see, back in that day, the only thing more degrading than death itself was having your body decimated and destroyed uh, after your death. Happened to Saul and Jonathan after they were killed. They were taken back um, to Bet Shean uh, and, and hung on the wall at Bet Shean. Uh, we, we read that, it, that, that was, the body was desecrated afterwards. And it was, it was, it's even worse. It's, it's even more humiliating. So this mom is out there and she's trying to keep the birds or she's trying to keep the things away. And I want you to understand something. She's there day and she's there night. We're going to find out that she's there from, from, the, uh, from the early rains into the late rains. Could have been all summer long as the bodies deco- decomposed. You think, well, that's terrible, Rob. Why didn't somebody do something? Why did, why did this woman, because she understood, you know, wh- wh- was it all seven of them or just her sons? We don't know the answer to that. Why didn't she do something? Well, they did. Look at verse 11. David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and took the bones of Saul, the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of bet where the Philistines had hung them up, after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. So he brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zillah, in the tomb of Kish, his father. So they performed all that the king commanded. David gave them a proper burial. David realized what this woman was doing. Word got back, hey, you need to understand, Rizpah is out there protecting these. David, we need to do something. David says, let's do something. Let's go get Saul's bones. Let's get Jonathan's bones. Let's bury the family together and give them a proper burial. And they do that. But notice that very last line in verse 14. And after after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. After that, God heeded the prayer for the land. It wasn't like God wasn't hearing their prayers for the last 400 years. But there comes a time where the things in our past need to be dealt with. There comes a specific time where God's going to bring about something in your life, something in your past, something that hurts, something, maybe you were hurt and it's forgiveness. Maybe you did the hurting and you need to be forgiven. There there comes a time in our Christian walk where God will dig something out of the past that seems forever ago because he wants us to deal with it. Because he wants, it to, he wants to bring it so that he can heal us and move on from it. And that's what's taking place. He wants them to deal with their sin. He wants them to deal with their broken promise. It's been, why has it been so long? I suspect it's been so long because he's been giving them a chance to deal with it on their own. And they haven't done that. They've, what have they done? They forgot about it. Mm-hmm. They've just moved past it. It's, that's old news. That's yesterday's news. Can I just remind you that God doesn't forget anything? unless he chooses to forget it. He chooses to forget our sins. Remember them no more, he says. Not to forget them. God's not forgetful like you. Time doesn't erase the past in our mind. You know, what did I have for dinner last week? I can't remember. You know, God doesn't forget. He's got it all there. And from time to time, he'll come to you and he'll say, listen, there's something in your life, there's something in your past that we gotta deal with. And maybe it's a spiritual drought that you're experiencing. Maybe it's a famine. Maybe you feel like my prayers aren't getting answered. You know, whatever the reason, you know, and, and there's a lot of reasons why a prayer might go unanswered, but this is just perhaps one of them. There's, maybe you're feeling like we, there's something there. You know, I think that we need to do what David did. What did David do? He inquired of the Lord. David said, listen, it's been three years. There's a famine. I'm not ex- we're not experiencing the growth that we want. 
We're not experiencing the fruit of the land that we want. We're stuck. We're, we're just kind of, matter of fact, we feel like we're hungry. We're, 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 we're missing something. We're, you know, we're not, we don't have an abundance. We're, we're just barely getting by. Listen, it might be time for you to go, hey, Lord, I need to inquire of you. Is there something in my life that needs to be dealt with? Is there a sin, perhaps, that I'm just allowing to continue? Is there something that I need to deal with in my past? What is it that I need to do? Why is this taking place? You see, there's a couple of things I want you to remember from tonight. Number one, God takes your promises seriously, and you should too. Your promises to him and your promises to other people. God takes his promises to you seriously, and you need to know that you can count on them, that they're there for you. He's not going to forget about it. He's not going to let, they're not going to go unnoticed. They're, they might not come to fruition tomorrow, but they will come to fruition. And you need to know that. Number three, time doesn't make promises void. You ever make a promise to God? Lord, if you'll get me out of this situation, I'll never do that again. And then you find yourself doing it again. Wow. Hopefully tonight opens your eyes that God takes that seriously. When you promise God something, he holds you to it. Now, he may not hold you to it right away. It may be a few years before you see the consequence of breaking that promise. But he lets us know that he's going to hold us to it, and we can hold him to his promises too. His promises to forgive. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be people who just sweep them under the rug. Ah, it's not that important. I know I, God understands my heart. God understands that I had good intentions. No, no, no. If you're going to promise something to God, you need to keep that promise. It matters to God. Time doesn't erase it. God's correction for failing to keep your promise may not come right away. It may come a little while after. Why? Why wouldn't he do it right away? Well, because he wants to give you a chance. I think it's like a parent. I hate to discipline my children. I would love it if they would correct the bad behavior before I have to discipline them. But unfortunately, sometimes you, have to, you only go so long and you go, I have to do it now. And what I've found out is the longer I wait, the worse it gets. But what would correct it if, if the kids would just say, hey, you know what, I blew it, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you, I can't wait to forgive you. But if they just go on and act like nothing happened, ah, it's no big deal. Ah, no, th Dad understands my heart. No, that's the way the Lord is thinking too. That's, that's the heart that he has. Does he want to forgive us? Absolutely he wants to forgive us. You know, if you've broken a promise, it's time to say, Lord, forgive me. I realize, acknowledge, I broke that promise. I, I've, I've, I've blown it here, you know. Do it before you, find, you reap the consequences of a famine for a couple of years. Or longer. David's got three years into it. Now, we, the good thing is, we don't have to kill or hang anybody, do we? That's already taken place, hasn't it? He was already killed and hung on a tree for our failure to keep our promises. So here's the... Here's the we have it so much better. The penalty for failing to keep our promises has already been paid. These seven guys had to go pay it for Saul's failure. Our penalty has already been paid. We don't have, we're not held to the same standard they are being because we have the grace. But I have to be willing to go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for breaking those promises. Forgive me for that. You see, there comes this time. And I think that's what we get out of this message. And, and I don't know if it's for somebody here tonight. And you know, there were certainly some things the Lord worked on me in my life as preparing this message. But there comes this time where we have to be willing to, God, to, number one, inquire of the Lord. Number two, we have to be willing to hear what the Lord says. David's heart could have been, oh, Lord, that's ridiculous. 400 years ago, are you kidding me? The statutory limitations on promises is only 100 years. 
He could have made something. That's stupid, God. I'm not even going back that far. Maybe when the, God, the Lord tells you to do something on your heart and says, you know, Lord, what, I want more and I'm, I'm falling short. I really want to serve you. What is it that's keeping me away? And he tells you and you go, well, that's just dumb. That, that can't be it. That, that, I'm not dealing with that. That, that. that would be too hard to deal with. Lord, I'm not doing, that's just too far in the past. Does it go back 400 years? I doubt it. I don't think there's anybody in here 400 years old. You know, it means that we have to deal with these things. We have to go through with them. So David says, number one, he realizes there's a spiritual problem in his life. Number two, he inquires the Lord. Number three, he takes the response seriously. He understands that God is serious about this. And number four, he calls those people. He calls upon them and says to the Gibeonites, and he goes to them in humility. He goes to them as a servant. He doesn't go to them as a king. He says, what can I do to make this right? What could they have said? They could have said, don't worry about it. We're good. Great. Problem solved. But they didn't. They said, you know what? To make it right, David, it's going to cost you seven men. Find me seven people in Saul's family. And David looks around and he goes, all right, I'm going to give you, I can't give you Mephibosheth because I have another promise with him and I'm a man of my word, so I'm going to keep him out. I'm not going to break one promise to fulfill another. And I'm going to give you these seven guys. And they ended up getting hung before the Lord. And you know what we read in here? We read a little in, in verse 10, beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. What does that mean? That means the sacrifice was accepted, right? That means that they they were okay. It means that that all of a sudden the Israelites, the the thing that was causing the spiritual drought has been removed. The price had been paid and it had been accepted. You see, we have to do the same thing in our own life if we're spiritually, if there's a spiritual drought. You want the rains to come? Lord, why why aren't the rains coming? Why aren't the blessings coming? What am I missing out on? Will you deal with it, right? And he tells you, you know, see, sometimes he tells us what it is. This is why. And you go, well, I'm not ready to give that up, Lord. I'm not ready to handle that. I'm just going to, now, well, you're going to be stuck in the drought. You're going to be stuck in the drought. You're not going to get out of it. The rains aren't going to come until you, until you make right, until it's, until it's fixed. You see, the, the penalty is paid. The sacrifice is made in Jesus Christ, but I have to then be willing to fulfill that. I have to believe on that. I have to receive that sacrifice. And if it's a sinful action, I have to be willing to change it. Because I can't just keep doing what I'm doing and asking for forgiveness. You know, there has to be a change there. So before we close here, I want to just take a few minutes. As always, uh, we've covered a lot. You know, promises, uh, covenants, God takes them seriously. We can also take his seriously. And I just want you to go before the Lord and may, maybe you're here tonight and this is, you know, there's, as I talk about something in your past or the sin that there's something that's ringing and you're going, that's, that's for me. Just take a few minutes. We're going to pray quietly before the Lord and you go before him in your own time and, and you just ask him, is there something in my life that I have to deal with tonight? And if it's sin, I want you to, I want to encourage you to leave it here tonight. I want you to encourage you to ask, you, ask the Lord for forgiveness and I want you to leave it at his feet, at the foot of the, nail it to the cross, the Bible would say. The penalty is paid. There's no, no, you don't have to go hang on a tree. You don't have to go do that. That part's already done. But I want you to leave it at the feet of Jesus, and I want you to walk out of here free from that burden. And if it's something that you have to deal with with somebody else, I want you to walk out of here and handle it tonight. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to, well, I'll pray about it for a week. No, I want you to go deal with it. If, he, if he's put it on your heart to handle it and deal with it, go deal with it tonight. Don't let it go any longer. You know, If it's a promise that's been broken to somebody, go make it right. If you've, if you've the one that's been, been hurt, you know, and somebody comes to you, I want you to make it right with them too. But let's just go before the Lord quietly and say, Lord, is there anything in my life? You know, this is the time where we can, we've heard the Bible study, and we can simply go like David and inquire of the Lord. So let's do that now.